You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Scoop Podcast. Now live, Wednesdays at noon. That's Don Callahan. I'm Tommy Ashley. We're going to reset the entire game here, folks. Shout out to the folks that have already joined us in the chat. Um, Don and Ross have done this Scoop podcast, I don't know what, Don, several, a decade close to it? Um, no, a long, long. It well, was a few years, though, but yeah. A long time that, that you guys did it. And uh, as we know, uh, Ross moved into the transfer portal transferred to Michigan for the year. So Don and I are the new scoop people. A couple things. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Always shout out to them for what they do for Inside Carolina, what they do for you, the Inside Carolina listener. Premium subscribers. Of course, if you know who Don is, you're a premium subscriber. If you don't know who Don is, get to be a premium subscriber. You get 10% off of the uh, orders at Johnny T-Shirt and online. A couple other things. One, the Scoop Live is the show's name right now. On the message board, Tar Pit Premium message board, I ask for names. Um, and if somebody drops us a name, a potential name that we select, exclusive, man, there's probably only 50 of these in existence because a buddy of mine down here at home makes them for me. Um, if you've been in the bowls a lot, you've seen those. But I will send you a hat so you can be a part of an exclusive club. I don't even think Don has one of these. You don't I even do have not. one of these, Don. I do not. I'm not a hat guy, but uh, no, I do not. I do not. Let's, I have a few Inside Carolina hats in my closet that don't get worn very much. Let's get into it. A lot of questions popping in already. And folks, on the second half of the show, we'll answer as many of your questions as possible. Don, let's sort of reset a little bit and talk about your background getting here with Inside Carolina. Uh, Don't have to dig too deep, but how and why you've become the preeminent North Carolina football recruiting expert. I mean, I'm going to be honest, you are. And, And I know you don't like to carry that flag too much because it's all about the name on the front of the jersey for us. Uh, But just sort of give us your background a little bit, how you got involved in this, and then we'll move into the nitty-gritty of the current. Yeah, so first got to give a shout-out to Preston, who was a big follower of The Scoop with Ross and I, and for a while there had a lot of funny jokes about Ross's mom, which I really enjoyed. And I think once he actually met Ross, Preston and Ross actually met each other, and I think that's when the, um, the mama joke stopped. But anyway, for my background... Um, the quick version of it, obviously everyone knows I'm from, well, most of the people know I'm from, um, Philadelphia, moved down here to go to school and, uh, trying to find something to do, got involved with, um, I guess started following high school football and through that created a website called nchsfootball.com. Through that, met Miller Seyfried. For those who are longtime Inside Carolina subscribers, know Miller really well. And, um, you know, Miller eventually got me connected with Buck Sanders. There's a lot of pieces of the story that I'm leaving out just for, for um, to keep things going quick. But anyway, um, Miller got me introduced with Buck. You know, I started out just working, you know, part-time, just doing a couple stories a week that ultimately turned into a full-time position. And really, I think the the thing that I benefited the most was that coverage of recruiting. I I hit that right when it was, when recruiting started to become a big thing. And so my 
um, my, I guess, understanding um, developed as the field of coverage developed, which, which put me in a really fortunate position and the position I'm in right now. It's interesting too, because you've been doing it and you, you've gone through coaching changes and certainly position coaching changes and all that kind of stuff. And, and shout out to the new attempted setup there. Uh, yeah. Somebody in the chat. See, yeah, this, well, can you, I mean, is it bad? I mean, I, I can always switch out pretty quickly to the headphones, but. I, I, folks in the chat can determine that. I would say use the headphones. That's just me just because that gets in the way, but whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, this, this interactive stuff. Now people are going to call you on something immediately. So you got to get used that's, to that. Hey, that's, that's good. We would we'd rather hear it now than find out later on that the, the mic didn't work out. Yeah, I would uh, figure it out. But anyway, let, let me sort of set the stage here. Um, you know, you've covered this stuff through multiple coaching changes and it's relevant now to the, um, where we are today, even though Mac Brown's still the head coach, North Carolina has got some new pieces on the staff that I want to talk to you about, about how that's affected recruiting. Of course, on the field is ultimately a thing, but coaching coaches recruit too. And whether we want to believe it or not, kids recruit or kids commit to coaches all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's set up in the school. So we've got Randy Clements, we've got Jason Jones, we've got Chip Lindsay now on the staff and those three guys, especially Clements has been busy. Um, so Don, let me ask you this, as far as 2024 class, you guys discussed it, we're gonna reset it right here, but let's start with sort of the Randy Clements effect in your okay. opinion. How, how much does how much does a certain position coach affect a recruiting and in that frame of mind, the recruiting frame of mind, what type of kid or what type of player said position coach wants to get that may be different than his predecessor? Because Carolina's had three in three years. Yeah. No, I mean, it, for all of those things, it's huge. I mean, because just, I mean, I, I don't know of a situation where the position coach at a school does not have a huge say in who is being recruited, who's being offered, who's being prioritized, and that sort of thing. And then the ability of that coach to connect to those targets is, is key. And so, yeah, I mean, so that, that definitely has a big impact, just, just talking in general, regardless of position, to be completely honest. And especially nowadays, it really has turned into, yes, coaches have their territories, but they you, it, very quickly the position coach kind of takes over recruitment of a kid that becomes a major target and don is always busy thus you hear the noises i would say i don't think the mic is working i think it's coming through your computer speaker you click really the, well, click the settings button at the bottom you know what you might be right let's see here we'll keep talking yeah I yeah think I'm, right. I'm so just to to stay on the randy clements thing you got desmond jackson three-star, Rosinski, three-star, Ban Banfield, excuse me. Let me test. That, hey, there you go. All right. So it wasn't, so it was going through the, I didn't have it set properly. So this is probably a perfectly fine setup now. That is, uh, it sounds good to me. Uh, but you've got those three guys committed. Randy Clements certainly shows as the lead recruiter. Um, a lot of folks look at those and say, those are three-star guys. Why, mm -hmm. why North Carolina recruiting four-star, five-star kids on the offensive line? Is that a, a Randy Clements thing, you think, or is that just sort of a nature of the beast, given what North Carolina's sort of produced on the field the last five years? I think if you ask any anyone who fully understands offensive line recruiting, they'll tell you that um, it's it's somewhat of a crapshoot, to be honest. You know, just it's one of the harder positions to to kind of project because the the pool of players that you're looking at is, is very small and everybody wants them it's the the position that's represented more than any other position on the football field at any given time you have five offensive linemen you have all these quarterbacks that we know about but there's only one that plays but we have five offensive linemen um and so so it's such a hard position to recruit so i don't think you know looking at you know the rankings obviously if a guy, you know, I'm a, definitely a believer in in the star rankings. And as I've said before, 
you know, a, a five-star kid is more likely to pan out than a three-star kid. And so I think, you know, there's no way to get around that. But I think that, um, especially if you're just looking for guys who are going to be, you know, solid starters for a couple of years, I think you could definitely pull them from the three-star ranks. But clearly these, these were kids at North Carolina, particularly Coach Clements identified very early on. A lot of these kids were, I'm trying to look at the list real quick, but I know Banfield, uh, Masterson, and yeah, Rosinski. I think the only one that was offered before was uh, Desmond Jackson. So these were all guys that, that um, Clements you know, handpicked, very quickly became the favorite, and very quickly secured a, a verbal commitment from to the point where UNC actually has four offensive linemen committed. They will take a fifth, but they're going to be very picky with that fifth addition if it ends up coming to uh, to pass. So let me ask you this: as far as the type of player, not necessarily the star ranking, but I mean, I would I would assume that all college coaches want um, road grader, uh, you know, mean guys on the offensive line. Some of the meanest dudes I've ever met were offensive linemen, just from history. And there's a few that we deal with still on a current basis. Um, I'm not going to call their names, but they're former Tar Heels that outwardly are great guys. Inwardly, they would bite your head off. Um, mm. That's the nature of that position. But as far as what Clements looks at, is he looking at a different type of guy um, than – you know, a past guy, then, you know, even like a Sam Pittman in Arkansas, that, that recruiting those type things. I mean, is the player itself, star rankings aside, mm-hmm. it, do you think Clements is approaching that little different? I remember in his opening press conference, he said, does he love football? You know, they all say that. And I think for an offensive line, you better, an offensive lineman. If, if an offensive lineman doesn't love football, they're not going to be an offensive lineman for long. They're going to be the biggest dude at the wreck. And, and that's just how it works. But for Clement's purposes, what do you, what do you see there? So I think in general, we got to remember that recruiting is an art, not a science. And that, you know, two people can look at a piece of artwork and come away with very different thoughts on that artwork. I mean, I think everyone can pretty much look at Mona Lisa and think, and think that's, that's a badass painting. But there's some paintings I would say, hey, I'm putting that in my living room. And, and Tommy might think, hey, I'm not even going to hang that up in my basement sort of thing. That thing think, behind you fits that. Just whoa, not gritty. <laughs> anyway, um, but with that said, you know, I like to because I do I do try to profile what each coach, what they're looking for. And that helps me kind of determine when I'm looking at film, whether this fits, you know, this particular coach is kind of kind of um mold of what they're looking for for me it takes me a couple of classes to actually get a handle on that I never got a handle on that on Bicknell because Bicknell was only here for not even a year mm-hmm. um i don't really you know he did the only thing i'll say that all of these um commits have in common very smart kids if you look at the schools that that they were looking at you know i know it, it looks like a bad thing because they're not football powerhouses but most of these kids, Duke was a finalist, Georgia Tech was a finalist, Vanderbilt was a finalist. So these schools aren't recruiting kids who don't have great grades, who aren't great in the classroom. So I definitely think there's that aspect of it that's that's um, definitely in play. Beyond that, beyond the obvious things, you know, size, mobility, you know, bend and all that sort of stuff, I haven't gotten like a great grasp of it. It's probably going to take me a little bit of a couple cycles to kind of determine that. Yeah, I mean, and then you look at the sizes of them. I mean, they're all relatively similar sized, six mm-hmm. five, six six guys. Uh, um, on the recruiting trail, Don, and this is something that's related to Willie Lampkin, who's currently on the team, who looks like he's going to press for a starting position. I, I mean, it is how big are measurables in recruiting, specifically height and weight? Uh, I mean, it seems like it's certainly a thing um, as much, if not more so, than the stars. Yeah, well, the stars, as they put them together, are supposed to be directly projecting, um, I guess, NFL draft status, basically. Mm-hmm. And though anyone who, who has studied the NFL draft will tell you that measurables are absolutely key. I mean, there's, a, there's guys who are average college football players 
who are high draft picks because of their measurables. There are guys who are tremendous college football players, but don't have the measurables and don't even get drafted. So, so obviously the measurables do matter at least for the rankings purposes, but I think, yeah, I mean, you have to have size. I mean, I, I, you have to have speed. I mean, these things are, I mean, can you get away with not having those things? Sure. But that prospect must have other elements that offset that. That's an interesting take. I mean, I've seen a couple of these guys walking around and these high school kids that are 6'6", 250, 300 pounds are just ridiculous. I don't see how they're yeah. fed at home. But again, Clements always says, do they love football? Let's, let's turn a little bit to um, Evan Bennett. He's okay. a guy, um, you know, Carolina's got two of the best linebackers that they've ever had um, production-wise right now, which said Gray, especially in Power Echoes. Um, Mac has talked about how he's got to figure out how to get some depth behind those, you know, and then because once they're gone, then those guys have to step up. Where does Bennett project in this class for you? Another three-star guy, a thick pin guy. He was the first recruit, if I'm looking at it correctly. Um on January 23rd to commit um, sort of talk a little bit about him, what he brings to the table and can he be a guy? Everybody talks about said gray. I think wasn't said a three-star two-star high three-star. Yeah. Or yeah. Three so star. I think, yeah. I think the thing about said, we got to remember is that one, he played in Charlotte. So he's playing against great competition, but he played at one of the schools that isn't a traditional power. Ardrey Kell had, has had, has produced some players, including some players that has sent to North Carolina. But, um, you know, it's not Mallow Creek. It's, it's not Myers Park. It's not Huff High School. Um, but so there they had to put him in the best position that would help his team win games. And he be, he was a wide receiver for much of his career, played a little bit of defense for his senior season because the they changed head coaches and the new head coach was the former defensive coordinator. And he was like, hey, I need this guy also on defense. So there was that. um learning curve, obviously, but he clearly was an athlete, but yes, uh, to answer your question, you know, Tommy Thigpen focuses on athleticism. You know, we can go back, you know, forget about said gray. Let, let's go back to Bryce Carter and Quan Sturdivant, who were, you know, both of them were quarterbacks and safeties at their high schools and played for small schools and um, came to North Carolina and Tommy Thigpen was able to, to mold those guys into all ACC NFL draft pick type guys. So this is what Tommy Thigpen does. You know, the, the thing is with Bennett, you know, he's in, he's in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. If you look on his Twitter account, you see plenty of um, photos of him flexing because he's very, uh, he seems like he definitely more than just spends time in the weight room, definitely takes care of his body. I mean, this is his level of, um, I guess, build. I mean, clearly he's into nutrition and all that sort of stuff. But more than anything else, that just shows the work ethic, which I think is also important. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he's definitely a kid who does a lot of different things at his high school because he's the best player on a very small, small, um, uh, small, very small team. And, I mean, that, that does worry me a little bit. It worries me that, you know, a state that like Georgia that is so heavily recruited that this kid kind of sort of slipped through the cracks. North Carolina was his only offer when he committed, although he did pick up a couple of smaller school offers afterwards. But, um, you know, if there's one coach who's been able to find diamonds in the rough and turn them into diamonds, it's it's Tommy Thigpen. Yeah, it's an interesting take there. Uh, you know, I've always thought when you see guys that are, uh, and like you said, Edenton is in the middle of nowhere, but it's still closer to Georgia and all those SEC schools. And then they end up at North Carolina. Another guy from a small school back in NC, uh, Khalil Conley. Don, he, he is, um, you got Jason Jones as his primary recruiter. Jones is, of course, one of the newer guys on the staff. Um, what does he bring? Um, and, and again, what is Carolina looking for now that maybe has changed a little bit from the corner and from the defensive back, the star, the, the nickel, the safety position? Yeah, so I think – it's, it's kind of similar to the, the Clemens situation. I'm still trying to get a gauge of, of Jason Jones, but obviously Charlton Warren, who, you know, he's been at North Carolina for, has it been a year, I guess, and then was there prior. So I have an understanding of Warren likes to get guys um, who have the potential to play corner and um, can move 
but if they don't work out a corner, then they can move the safety sort of thing. And he also likes to recruit guys who are straight nickel backs, you know, guys who can cover um, maybe, you know, maybe on the smaller side, but also are great inside the box. You know, Connolly is such an interesting guy because he kind of fits more of the mold of like just an athlete sort of thing. You know, he, he reclassified. He actually should have been part of the prior class, but wasn't receiving the recruiting interest that he had hoped. So he reclassified and transferred to Christ School about a year ago. Initially was brought in as a wide receiver. They needed some help at DB, play him at DB. And that's where he really kind of caught North Carolina's attention. And UNC offered him in, in January, and it was soon after that he committed. So tell me a little bit about uh, Christ School in that area. Obviously, they've produced some basketball players up yeah. there. But but it's another school that's, you know, it, it's not one of your big ones. You mentioned um, Huff and, and Myers Park and all those schools out of Charlotte. You've got all the Greensboro schools just sort of put it in perspective for folks as far as what level of competition he's experiencing there versus what some of the other recruits. Yeah. So it's, it's a unique school. It's a beautiful campus. I've been there a couple of times, fortunately. Um, and I mean, not only is it good in basketball and also football, but when I was walking around campus with the head coach, he says, see that kid right there, he's an Olympian in, I think cross country. Um, and so so they I mean they have athletes just walking around their campus, but it's it's a boarding school. So um, while uh, Connolly is, is from Asheville, and I imagine he probably goes home each each day after school, um, a lot of the kids live on campus, which is a little different as far as the competition. You know, they play they play the Charlotte private schools, which is very impressive, and they also uh, play that Raven Gap, which is in Georgia, just as you're crossing over the line from North Carolina, um, over in the mountain area. And they have been pulling in a lot of kids from like Canada and from Europe that end up being big time recruits. Also, the other team they play is that, uh, I think it's Carol Wood day, which for those who follow recruiting know that they, they are absolutely loaded. They played them last season. They're going to play them this season. They have a couple guys in North Carolina's recruiting, including that, uh, four-star defensive end, uh, Solomon Thompson. They So Christ School tries to play tough competition. There's other guys, there's other schools on their, on their schedule. I just don't know, know it off the top of my head. Um, but um, it's a private school and they, and they definitely travel and they have the, the, the financing to do so. So they try to play against tough competition. But, you know, the thing with, with private schools is there are a couple of you know, cans along the way that, that uh, you play against. They kind of help pad the stats and help with the film, but they definitely play against really good competition also. Yeah, and Sean Crowley, shout out to Sean. He's one of the regulars on these live podcasts. And yes, we'll have On The Beat tonight at 9 o'clock. Um, I'll have to take a nap between now and then to be able to function at 9 o'clock, but we'll be doing that. But let me ask you, as far as level of competition in high school versus camp performances, um, that we see that you cover and all that. Where does it all play out? Because I think, I think on the current roster, we're seeing that perhaps maybe level of competition um, might have influenced how good somebody was perceived to have been. And I don't want to say a name, but folks can figure that out. But the bottom line is, yes, players have to perform on the bottom line, but to even get that opportunity to to perform, Don sort of gauge me on level of competition in high school mm -hmm. versus performances in camps and, and you know, it, all the different stuff that they do, the combines and all that different things they do to get noticed as well. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, the most important thing is the film. The, the problem is, is as you're kind of alluding to is that if you play against a, a weak schedule, your film is not going to be your film is going to be much better looking. If you or let's let me rewind. If you have two recruits, they're basically plays against a hard schedule. The one who wins the the weaker schedules, film's going to look better, and that's just how it is. And you got to take into consideration who's on their team. I mean, we have seen guys who who were basically all-star teams and played really, really well, had great film, 
and then don't pan out in college. And why is that? Because they don't have these other guys helping them. So, um, so that's a big part. And that's where I think coaches try to use camps and combines to kind of level the playing field a little bit. And so if you have two guys you feel like are basically the same, you can work them out. You can see who's faster, you know, by timing them in the 40. You can get their measurables. You can get their exact heights, weights, all that sort of stuff in camp settings. That tries to help you kind of determine which one you want to go into, which one you want to go after. I think people, fans, look at this stuff and think that, you know, this guy's ahead of this guy and it's pretty simple. But in reality, there's a lot of splitting of hairs with a lot of this stuff. I mean, you have so many, I mean, every high school seems to have a really good running back. How difficult is it to just decide, okay, these are the ones that we want to, to recruit or, and these are the ones we want to pass. Yeah. You went a little bit cyborg during that, but Hey folks, it's live, it's live radio, live podcast. It's going to happen. Um, when you're comparing all that, how, how deep into, um, the minds, I guess, do college recruiters get specifically North Carolina? Uh, I mean, like I mentioned into, earlier, into the recruits. Yeah. Like I mentioned Clements talk about, do they love football <clears throat> and, and things like that? But how, how much goes into that aspect of recruiting, especially I think on the offensive and defensive line, I think that matters the most there, but just in general. So let me, let me throw a question at you real quick first from the, from the chat. Uh, well, I want to know, I'm not wearing the short shorts. I don't are wear you, short shorts. Are you wearing have, short shorts? I, I do you? have shorts on. They're not short. Though. <laughs> um, I would get arrested for five inch inseams. Go oh ahead. My. Oh my. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, in the, in the minds, I, I think I, I actually wonder that question, like how much, I mean, obviously it's factored in, but is it factored in enough? Because I, because if you fall in love with a kid because of his film, I think you're going to try to, you're, you're going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt over everything. And, and I think um, maybe it's not factoring as much as it should, but it definitely, there are definitely recruits def- recently that North Carolina has decided to go in a different direction with because they felt like for whatever reason, mentally, they weren't a fit at UNC. I mean, the one, the one example that pops in my head was uh, now I'm forgetting is uh was a DB who ended up committing to NC State but then flipped to Maryland from um Roseville High School. Okay, you you're asking the wrong yeah. guy. Anyway, I remember the thing, but the bottom line is Carolina didn't believe he was a. F- I mean, physically yeah. and ability, yes, but yes. all the other stuff, and that's what I always find is interesting. Is coaches always tell me they rather have somebody they have to dial back other than having somebody they have to dial up. But they also have to, to fit sort of the, the cultural fit, if you want to call it that, for North Carolina. Because I think you would agree, and I, I certainly believe it. Carolina's different in a lot of ways. Um, but the bottom line is it's up to coaches to mold them and get them. A couple more recruits in this class. Davion, is it Gauss or Gase? I don't Gauss, want to mispronounce the name. Uh, he is currently the lone four-star Larry Porter brought in the running back. And with the stable of running backs that Carolina has now, um, and Mac talked about them yesterday in the press conference, I mean, they, that room's going to have to thin at some point. Gauss will be here next year. Um, how, how does how do you see him fitting in with what's, what's currently on the roster, what Carolina wants to do? So I know that we throw this this comparison around a lot, but uh, Javante, you know, he kind of fits that sort of mold. You know, um, his his name is Bullet. That's what they call him, Bullet. But I think, and I said this with Ross, uh, not to bring, not to make you embarrassed or make you feel less of a person, I, but um, he's more of a cannonball, just kind of just bounces around and very similar to what I remember Javante. You know, com- compact build, good. Um, good receiver out of the backfield, but just kind of just runs through and, and finds a whole sort of thing. So I think he'll fit well, but I think touching on, especially what, you know, cause I watched the, the press conference yesterday also, and that was the thing that popped to my mind, North Carolina, they're, they're still trying to recruit another running back. Now they're not going to just take a running back just to take a running back, but if they could find another elite guy and there's a couple of guys that they, that they're recruiting that, that are elite, they'll take them. And I think, 
putting that together with what Mac was saying in the press conference yesterday, I just got the feeling that that they believe, for whatever reason, maybe they've through their conversations or, or, or through what they've heard through the grapevine sort of thing, that some of the running backs might might end up really going into the portal. And Mac basically said that. And so obviously the depth chart is is deep right now. And without attrition, we'll be deep for a couple of seasons. But the problem is, is we have the portal. And um, especially when when you're talking about, hey, we're going to play, what, what did he say, two plus one mm-hmm. sort of running back situation. You hear that, you find out that, hey, you're not part of that two plus one. Then you might want to leave, which you know, a couple guys do that. And then that depth chart is not as deep as it was, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen how – um, Larry Fedora found out real quick how the the uh, quarterback depth chart could vanish literally overnight um, with injury and and with guys moving on. I, I was surprised. I'll be honest. I, I was surprised Jordan Louis committed, given what Carolina had on the roster. And, yeah. and now this guy. I, I mean, but you're right. Spring games on Saturday. The portal reopens um, for a couple weeks, Saturday. three weeks or so, and then. It could be wide open immediately, which is insane. I don't like that aspect of college sports. But a um, couple more guys, uh, Daniel Anderson, he's the one I hear about the most. Tell me why I hear about him the most. Edge rusher, defensive lineman, Gene Chizik recruit, committed on March the 30th. Um, clearly, North Carolina's defensive line has got to pick it up uh, on the field this year, and that has affected defensive line recruiting, has it not? Uh, I don't know if it's affected North Carolina recruiting overall. Um, we can, that's, that's, that's a long conversation that we can into, but let me get to Daniel Anderson. I think, I think the two reasons why you've heard about him is one, you have the crowd who are like, Oh, this is a guy who up until a couple weeks ago, actually up until last week was unranked. And now he's a mid three star. Uh, Indiana is the only power five school who has offered him. All the rest of them are a group of fives. So there's that crowd who are not happy with the caliber. Then you have the crowd who watches his film and says, oh, man, this this looks like now the now the name's going blank on me. Um, I'm thinking I uh, uh, came in Rucker. I was thinking of his thinking the butcher. I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to, you know, without at least saying his name. It's a great nickname. It is a great nickname. Um, yeah. So comparing him, you know, undersized guy, but definitely great get off high motor gets in the backfield sort of guy. Um, so uh, I was actually, to be honest, considering you're know, looking at his offers, I was actually surprised that um, by the write-up and um, you know, where, where 247 ranked him. Not that I disagree with it. I just thought, you know, usually there's a correlation between the offers and, um, and the ranking, but I felt like they actually went on the higher end of that. And, and that's attributed to his film it is, is impressive. Norwood out of East Rams or excuse me, Eastern Randolph in Ramsor projects as a defensive tackle. I, I would think saw him in person a couple of weeks ago, just happened to be near the building. That's a big young man. Uh, Impressive looking, isn't he? he? He is. And like I said earlier, I, I don't understand how these parents feed these kids um, at that size at that age, but let's wrap up this little segment here discussing him. Uh, who does he compare to? Since you compared Anderson to somebody, give somebody a comp maybe that's on the roster, at least what you've seen from film. Oh, that's and, and that's a very, very good question. I'm trying to look at the uh, – I don't see like a great comparison. I think some of that is um, because, I mean, he is actually – he is impressive looking. You know, his coaches will tell you that when you – you know, one of the issues is, is that he played alongside – so he's listed as what? Six four, three hundred pounds. He played alongside the past two seasons a six six kid who was like a sloppy three fifty. And so when you look on the look at them on film, you think, oh, there's no way Janai is six four. He must be shorter than that. And this other kid's not six six. Um, but the schools who actually have come to Eastern Randolph High School and actually seen him in person because he is impressive looking. You know, he's he doesn't look fat. You know, he's well put together good wide frame. Um, and I mean, he comes in a room, you notice him right away. You know, he moves really well on film. 
And so the thing with him is that he mostly played offensive line. He played very little defense and he only played it last season. That probably will change a little bit for his senior season. But um, you know, North Carolina offered him just because he's a big kid who can move really well. But the more they kind of dived into his film, they realized maybe this kid's a defensive lineman. And they had him come visit, I guess it was about a month ago, so that all the coaches can get a look at him. And from that visit, they decided, hey, let's let's kind of give him a serious look at defensive line. And then he ended up committing, I guess it was two weeks later or whatever it was. Yeah, interesting. Let, let me take a Johnny T-shirt read right now. We're going to come back. We're going to answer a couple of questions. We're going to talk about quarterback recruiting. Um, we're going to look at that and, and take a couple of questions from the chat and from the message boards. And, and then we're going to wrap the show uh, learning a little bit more about Don Callahan. But Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com, certainly the sponsors of this podcast, sponsors of Inside Carolina. They're great friends of everybody that is Carolina-related. And they got all the swag, baseball stuff. Look, somebody asked in the chat, why wasn't there on the beat live last night? I was covering North Carolina baseball. And I you saw should have done both. I, well, you know, I didn't want to be disrespectful in the podcast. I was working on the basketball article, covering a baseball game, thinking about Don Callahan on a football recruiting <laughs> show. So my brain is too full, Don. But Johnny right, T-shirts, right. never, never too full. Uh They've got everything you want. So go visit them. Use your Inside Carolina code. You get off this message board, um, and it takes you uh, 10% off, and it gives you all the extra money to buy some more stuff. They've got it. Hook them up. They hook us up. They take care of us. National guys will pay the bills. It's the Scoop Live. It's Wednesday at lunchtime. I hope everybody in the chat, the almost 100 folks in the chat are enjoying your lunchtime with Don. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com all right, folks, we're back with the Scoop Live. Don Callahan, somebody posted a few minutes ago, recruiting sounds so depressing right now. How much does football, a team's football recruiting trend publicly as far as the fan base based on quarterback recruiting? Seems like it's an awful lot. So, so all right, so can, I'm trying to understand the question. Can you phrase it again? If Carolina had a five-star quarterback committed uh -huh. right now, how much does that change the perception of how recruiting is overall? I think it would change the perception, at least among the fans, definitely, and probably beyond the fans too, a lot. I got the sense kind of reading when we kind of laid it out that um, Jake Merklinger was not going to end up at North Carolina. Um, I Even some of the positive fans – we're um, definitely we're seeing a little bit of a different tune 
you know, hearing that news. So I think it definitely kind of impacted things from, from a perception standpoint. And I think really it might've helped. It could only have helped with, with the, you know, additional guys that UNC is recruiting. You know, a lot of these things are so, so hard to quantify just how much it's actually impacting things, but um, it can only have helped. Yeah, and and folks in Mark Kenton, shout out to another guy that's already in here. I was referencing this this comment here. Recruiting sounds depressing now, even though I think that's a Dallas Cowboys star there. So I could understand. I'm not going there. Hey, <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans love Inside Carolina too. To paraphrase um, some quotes from back we... in the day. Oh, oh I see now. You don't, have, you, the, you don't, don't have, have the ability to do but that. But I can see it like this. Yeah, you can see it on there. So I'm uh, going to ask a question and related to the quarterback recruiting, and I'll put it up. You can put it on, see it on your screen. Wilt Fong was on 24-7's recruiting thing yesterday, I think it was, um, Time Flies, talking about potential quarterback recruits now that Carolina's board appears to be clean. Can you sort of comment on – um, where quarterback recruiting stands with Chip Lindsey and how much, again, does offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach shape that? You know what I mean? People talk yeah. about how two exceptions, I think, and I want your comments on here. I could be totally wrong. And if I am, tell me folks credit Phil Longo for getting Drake May and Sam Howell. I counter and say, those kids are North Carolina kids. Yeah. They end up at Carolina regardless. But how much does OCs and quarterback coaches affect what talent in that department, in the quarterback department, that schools get? If they're in state, that's whatever. But Lindsay, the Lindsay effect, let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. So, all right. So, first with Longo, I thought he definitely was a, I'd say, a plus recruiter for sure. Did a really good job connecting with guys and definitely made an impact. With that said, you know, I talked to Duke Howe, Sam Howe's dad, weekly, if not more, during that recruitment. And I firmly believe that had Larry Fedora been retained, Sam Howe would have committed to North Carolina. I really believe that. Remember, he took the official visit to UNC even while there was all this smoke about how Fedora was going to be fired. And I, you know, when Fedora was fired there was a point where they were like, all right, forget North Carolina. Obviously that that got back on track. So while I think Longo was definitely a positive development for them, they were really happy because Longo was hired during Shrine Bowl week. And that was, you know, and Sam Howe was down at the Shrine Bowl. His dad was there every single day. I would chat with him on the sidelines every single day. And so they were very happy about that hire. They, they were um, his dad, who is the head coach now at um, Cuffer, Cuff, Cuthbertson High School, just with which is just outside of Charlotte, longtime offensive coordinator. His his dad was was a, was a longtime um, high school coach, so he definitely understands offenses, studies offenses. So he's a big Phil Longo fan. So it definitely impacted things. Um, you know, the, the the Drake May is a little bit harder to unpack, but yeah, I mean, you know, his dad played North Carolina. I mean, I don't I don't need to go through these things. I mean, North Carolina had a lot of advantages when it came to um, Drake May. But anyway, to answer your actual question. You know, we talked about earlier about just the impact of a position coach in general. And I think it's even more so for quarterbacks because, um, you know, that's that's you're tied to that offense. That offense is key. I mean, you you need to go to an offense that you're comfortable with and you need to you're, you're spending so much. I mean, every every player plays spends a lot of time with their position coach, but quarterbacks spend so much more. Time. I mean, this is probably a better question for for Jason to a degree, to Jason Staples. But um, yeah, they spend so much time, and they're so tied in with the offensive corner that it's it's huge. And it, you just look at it. You know, take the take the the question away from North Carolina for a second. Phil Longo goes to Wisconsin. What was you know one of the quarterbacks he, that he got committed there was the you know the kid that North Carolina was recruiting here. Um, so um, you know, it he followed him from Texas to Wisconsin. So that's definitely, you know, those sort of connections definitely play a role with Lindsay. I was actually impressed that he offered KJ Jackson and offered Merklinger almost immediately. And North Carolina was one of their first visits 
after the holiday dead period. I think that kind of speaks to their level of respect and comfort with Chip Lindsay. Neither of those situations ended with those kids ending up in North Carolina. And really that's all anybody cares about at the end of the day. But I think, you know, you can't just completely dismiss it because clearly Lindsay did a good job with those guys to the fact that they were going to give a school that was not even on their radar a fair shake. I mean, both of those kids ended up visiting North Carolina twice. North Carolina was a finalist for both of those kids. So now you got to kind of have to go back to the drawing board. North Carolina intends on spending the spring watching kids throw. You you talked about the whole the mindset thing. You know, talking to kids, talking to their high school coaches um, to try to get that mindset in as quickly as possible. And some of the names that are being tossed around are the names that were mentioned in that question that 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 uh, Will Fong, um, you know, brought up. But there's there's a few other names that. Um, that are also kind of out there that I know that are on the board. Once things get a little bit uh, more, you know, I guess firm, we'll probably dive into them a little bit more. How much does a, a recruit, when when you're talking and staying here on the quarterback recruiting, when you're talking about that, how much does a recruit, a, a quarterback recruit study an offensive coordinator, say Lindsay at, Auburn or, or at Troy or wherever he was calling plays. How much does a guy look at that? I think they, they definitely look at the scheme much more than any other position for obvious reasons. I don't, you know, how much they study them, like truly study them probably depends on, you know, the actual recruit. Um, but uh, you, if you're a quarterback, you have to know exactly what you're getting into from a play calling standpoint to a scheme standpoint you know, and and really how much different is it than what you're playing in high school? Because obviously, if it's completely different, there's a huge learning curve. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's fascinating to, to you know, it, it, sometimes we talk about how high school kids don't have very long attention spans. You know, people say, well, team A stunk last month. That kid's not going to go there. And you've said – things to the effect that wins and losses, immediate wins and losses don't really affect recruiting. So let me ask you about the shine yeah. um, that a program has. And let's be honest, Mac Brown's team, um, at some point you got to produce when you talk about producing. Yes. How much has that affected sort of the perceived and reality of, of the recruiting slippage a little bit? How much does – Overall, but also the the close to last season, going from nine and one to nine and five. How much has that affected the twenty four class? So, there are a lot of factors that are affecting this class and affect the prior class. Tons of them. The NIL we can go into the the talent that's been in state, the talent that's been around the state, the turnover on the on the coaching staff, so on and so forth, have some degree of impact. But I think really. The number one, I guess, item that's hurting North Carolina is what you're bringing up, is how the the shine has has kind of wore off a little bit. You know, I think the better way to look at this, this is definitely something for years I've been thinking about and trying to just um, fully understand, but I think it's it's perception or prestige. And it, if you're a diehard fan, I don't think you can fully grasp what North Carolina's perception is. You know what I mean? Like you almost have to be, you almost have to call up a random high school football player in, I don't know, Virginia and ask them, what do you think about North Carolina? Where, where are they? Where do they think, which, where are they at in your mind? You got to remember that these kids aren't like us or at least me and sit in front of the TV on Saturday from noon until uh, the Hawaii game ends after midnight. So they don't watch all of these games. So it's more about what do they hear from their friends? What do they see on social media? What is the perception? So they don't hang on every single win, but if a school is viewed a certain way, that's going to be how they're viewed. And their view is going to be much different than a fan who lives and dies by North Carolina, watches every single game, watches all the press conferences, goes on Inside Carolina and all that sort of stuff. So I think the perception of North Carolina now for the average high school kid has dropped since Mac Brown came into office the second time, I guess. And that's, that, and that's a big problem. 
Yeah, I mean, you can sell hope and change for a while. Yes. But then when you're four and five years in, um, which is why I've said it, and I'll say it here as well, um, I think this year is crucial for North Carolina for a variety of reasons, but that recruiting aspect of it, because in those press conferences after the Wake Forest game, uh, when Carolina clinched the Coastal, I asked, this This is an opportunity to to take that next step. And it was always, we're in the ACC championship game. Uh, you know, that hadn't been done, won nine games, blah, blah, blah. After the Georgia Tech game, asked, same answer. Asked after the state game, asked, the same answer. And then after the ACC championship game, still got an opportunity to beat Oregon. Oregon's a top 10 team. Da, da, da. Well, here we are at nine and five. And so I think as far as not really approaching the wins and losses singularly mm -hmm. for players, I think when you lose five straight to close the season, and especially towards the end of the season when everybody starts watching um, and really paying yes. attention because the high school seasons are dying down, you know, the playoffs are wrapping up, and then you have opportunities and you don't get it done. And what's interesting, Don, and I'll ask you this, and we can start wrapping this up, is you've got a quarterback like Drake May. He's talked about across the country. I mean, mm -hmm. you can flip on a TV in Washington State, and they're talking about Penix for Washington, and, you know, if he's better than Drake May or not at North Carolina. How has Carolina, maybe in your mind, parlayed that to success in that prestige department, or have they missed an opportunity or is this season, the 23 season, that opportunity they need to cash in on? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, so I think that – I think this season is when North Carolina – this offseason, this season is when North Carolina needs to cash in on it, to be honest. I think that if you are a non-UNC fan, when did you start hearing about Drake May? You probably heard a little bit throughout the season, more and more and more and more, and then – Probably maybe right before the ACC championship, you really started to hear about him. You really started hearing about him before the, the Oregon game. Um, but now, you know, he's being talked about as one of the best players in college football, period. And so that's only going to help North Carolina this offseason and, and into next season. The problem with that, too, and I'm not even going to get into the Heisman talk with, with Drake May, but what we have seen, I'm just, let's take this away from Drake May. What we've seen with, um, the ability to repeat as a Heisman winner is because what happens is when someone talks about you a bunch, then they start nitpicking you. And that's why it's been hard for people to repeat as Heisman winners because now no one is f infatuated with you. They're now watching you and expecting this great performance. And when you don't, they've, they you know kind of rip you apart, particularly those in the media, um, the national media I'm talking about, of course, not inside Carolina. But uh, so there's a little bit of that danger. But I think, though, that Drake will get plenty of honeymoon period early on. Um, but, you know, the offense is going to have to kind of back that up a little bit. Yeah, I think South Carolina game is huge for yeah. this program, for recruiting purposes, for that prestige. When you were talking about prestige, it's funny. Um, I still play a little NCAA. And that's 14. where I stole the idea from. Yeah. I mean, and it's <laughs> relevant, right? Because yeah. you can recruit all the five stars you want. If you've got two stars prestige, they're not coming. Well, the way I, because I'm always trying to think, well, what is it like how? Because yes, North Carolina won nine games. I mean, what, but, but it doesn't like the, the, the perception isn't that. So what is it? And it's the, I guess prestige is the best word I can come up with or perception, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt no, you. I, no, I think you're totally right. And, and somebody in the chat said it's how they lost, mm -hmm. how they got to nine and five. And I, and I think first of all, how you get to 14 games and not play in the playoff is crazy anyway. I mean, not too many teams. It's hard to go nine and five in college football. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just almost impossible, but the fact that they got there the way they did, I think, had they, you know, lost a couple games early, you know, maybe lost to Clemson and then beat Oregon in the bowl game and they finished nine and five. I, I think that season is viewed completely different than starting the way they did. And I think that's why, and it is interesting to me, and this is really not recruiting related, but it is interesting to me how the tenor has changed 
from the coaching staff, from Mac in the press conference, from Chiswick and Lindsay, not as much. Let me ask you about that because I'm I'm interested in that. I I try to watch all of the press conferences, but I want your take on the tenure. I think the tenure has changed. Mac on Tuesday, yesterday, he's pretty clearly saying, and and all but said, they missed opportunities last year, which Mm -hmm. is what I asked in every press conference is, this is an opportunity, and it was like, be quiet. We're playing an AC championship. Yes. I think I think that is where it's changed. I think there's a sense of urgency. I've said that before. Um, I, I think Chiswick, and we've only heard from him a couple times, but I, I think he's owned the fact that the defense was not good. And, um, and of course, Mac made the changes that he thought were necessary on the offensive side. But I, I think this program realizes that I don't care how good Connor Harrell is. I don't care – how good any other recruit quarterback recruit they get that comes in. I don't care how good they are. They're not going to be any better than Drake may is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause he's about as, he's almost as good as you can get on the college level mm-hmm. at, at times. And so I think they understand that they've got to get it done this year. And I think there's pressure. I think there's more pressure on the program than it, than it could be. But you know, to your point and to what you cover, I think a good start to the season matters. But I don't know if it matters for twenty four because no. the last question for me is, Mac likes to get them done before the season starts, really. So, so where well, are we looking does. as far as that? But yeah. see, in that, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Tell me why that's a good thing. Oh, I don't, I don't think it's a good thing. But that's just how it is. So, I mean, you look at and how many. Um, how many commits? What was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine commits. In North Carolina, signs a full class, which is possible. I mean, we're 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 getting close to halfway, and it's not even mid-April. You know, the official visits will will make a big make big mark on this class. Also, I mean, I expect North Carolina to be basically maybe a couple of spots left by the time. The season starts. So yes, so the this season is not going to have any impact, on, or I shouldn't say any. This season is going to have very, very, very little impact on this class for sure. Right. So, but what you're what you're doing is is because really what what has happened with the sped up recruiting cycle is that the the guys who visit during the season for the game visits. Those are the 2025 class, and those are the guys you're going to be making an impression on. And the prestige, a word that we coined in um, in the very first uh, Scoop Live podcast that could change his name, um, is uh, it could change for those, you know, that, that prestige could change for um, those 2025 recruits. And that can only, you know, that could potentially help North Carolina for those, for that class. Yep. Last question for me, um, and we're closing in on an hour. And shout out to the folks that have been here the entire time. We're yeah, going to do this on Wednesday, real quick. Yeah, get a question in pretty quick. And uh, Tar Heel Duckhead, yes, they lost the bowl game on the last minute. Downs should have caught the ball against Georgia Tech, and then they lost the state. Was bad, but it it's nine and five. It doesn't matter. It's Nobody that, looks back. Nobody yeah, looks man. back and says, "Wow, they should have won." Yeah, but here. Here's the problem with all that, and this is why I think we're getting we're getting into dangerous territory. The entire season when North Carolina was undefeated, everybody was questioning things. Why? Because you know they didn't look good against really bad competition. And most people who are honest about this stuff to themselves realize eventually it's going to bite them. And when did it bite them? It bought the, it bit them towards the end of the season when it mattered most because North Carolina didn't get their defense fixed. And Mac Brown talking to the tenure. Felt like to me in the press conference, so correct me if I'm wrong on this, was in denial about the defense for the entire season. And so, um, last season. Yes. I mean, the App State, you know, back and forth towards the end should never have happened. You know, even the FAMU game, the team didn't look good. There's a lot of other games the team didn't look good. Georgia Tech, regardless of how North Carolina lost that game, Georgia Tech was terrible, was absolutely terrible. And so, you know, I mean, that's a team that North Carolina should beat pretty handily. So we can make all these excuses, but it wasn't a good season last year. And that's why the recruiting is paying for it. Interesting. Let me ask the last question. Okay. Um, obviously, North Carolina's recruiting, the state of North Carolina was 
they, they were there were a lot of studs a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and it's sort of backed off a little bit what do you see sort of holistically for the 2024 state of North Carolina class to 2025 and and heck I know you're already looking at 2026 I mean is the state sort of getting their mojo back not NC state the state of North Carolina <laughs> yeah so it's so it's it's a little bit hard to to say now because a lot of that depends on depth and it takes some time to identify guys and um you know we've seen you know junior seasons play a big role for a lot of these recruits but Yes, there are definitely some really good players in the 2025 class. Um, you know, the the Keandre, um, God, I'm forgetting his last name, the 2026 kid, probably is going to be a – I hate to throw this label on a kid, but he's going to be a big-time national recruit if if he stays on track. You know, um, I'm talking about the kid from Reedsville High School, you know, the 6'8 kid who's just an unbelievable athlete. He's also a basketball recruit. So you you have that also. That's at a school that's a very pro UNC school. The fact that he's a basketball kid usually helps North Carolina's chances also. So I think the future classes definitely there are definitely some players to um, to keep an eye on for sure. But we'll probably need to wait a little bit longer to kind of determine just how it compares if the state. I mean, we're still you know that 2021 class, and, and for those who are new. Um, I've been saying this for a while. It historically was probably one of the best classes the state has produced. And it just seems like the past couple of classes, the state has been kind of paying for that. We've been, I guess, moving towards the mean a little bit. Yeah, it was fascinating. There were a lot of good players in North Carolina in that class. I mean, the University of North Carolina couldn't take them all. So they end up going elsewhere. And it's interesting. All right, Don. So here's I'm going to wrap this show here, but I'm going to give you some homework. So. Uh-huh. I want to discuss in coming weeks hit rates for Oof. Duke basketball game recruits. In okay. Football. Okay. I, I want to know Carolina's hit rate on securing those commitments. I want to ask historically. His well, you know, you can pick a or time just this past this past one. We can keep it easy. We can do it historically. I want to know um, two or three names to, to for folks to pay attention to in the 25 and possibly 26 class. Um, and so we can sort of archive that and look back and say, Don Callahan told you in April of 23 that this kid was going to be such and such. We want to do yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't turn out to be a turd. Uh, if we forget, it, then people will forget you even said it. And then also, I want our listeners to continue to submit names. I need to mail this Richardson Inside Carolina hat to somebody um, or give it to you in person at the Bowls lot. We need a name for the podcast. The Scoop Live, it seems it's pretty good, but maybe we can find something better. Maybe you guys can help us. And if certainly uh, you need to take care of Johnny T-shirt. Anything left, Don? It's been fun. It's been an hour, man, like you talked about. We yeah. Could, we well, could do it yeah, for an we, hour. We, pretty we're easy. always so worried about going the distance because we talked about and maybe we end up having a couple episodes that are just 30 minutes long but hell i think that we're going to have plenty you know you and i both long-winded i think we're going to push an hour each time easy you know i mean we probably could go a couple more hours i I talk about it whatever we did a three and a half hour podcast in december i mean right there from your 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 man cave i mean man tower god we're gonna have to get this right man tower (laughs) Yeah, Gary, you yeah, got like so, uh, Mark brings up, up recruiting roundup. One of the things I definitely want to do, we wanted to intro this, you know, and kind of talk about the commits and all that. But I think for, for upcoming, I think we want to talk a little bit, not just, I mean, the focus is always going to be North Carolina, and that's going to be 95% of, of these uh, podcasts. But kind of talking a little bit about what's going on elsewhere, I think is fun to do and informative for for us, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's relevant for folks. I, I understand, and, and this can trigger some folks, and it, you know, sometimes it triggers me. Is I think it's relevant what what especially the schools up the road are doing, and then yeah. the school the school in uh, Clemson, South Carolina. Even though that's not really a, a thing these days, but I, I think that um, to understand what's going on at Virginia, Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. NC State, even Duke at times, Wake Forest, maybe. Um, <laughs> I think those are I think those are relevant to North Carolina's recruiting with North Carolina in the recruiting stance they're in now. 
if that changes and they go to you know top 15 top 10 classes again we'll change that to you know comparisons to the other schools that are out there that are recruiting at that level but i i think folks can expect us to discuss that potentially have guests on that maybe not be north carolina people um, just to do it because to understand North Carolina recruiting, you got to understand the whole landscape. You got to understand your enemy. Yeah. I mean, to Isn't know that. that enemy. <laughs> and also the Art NIL side of it. Um, of that's a fancy book. You know, I've got, I got a lot of coloring books back there, but uh, you know, I think it's relevant to understand the NIL effect and, and how that's doing. So there, there's a lot of opportunity here. But one thing from certain, it's going to be Wednesdays at noon. The only time it won't be Wednesdays at noon live is if we have to record early because one or both of us are out of pocket on vacation or whatnot. But we will bring the show to you. Always appreciate the folks here. Continue to build the build it. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Later today, join me on On The Beat Live tonight, 9 p.m. right here on the Inside Carolina YouTube channel. But that'll do it for me. That's Don Callahan, the expert. I'm Tommy Ashley. It's been Inside Carolina, the Scoop Live. Here, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.